If you have your Bibles, many of you, if you've been with us for a while, we're in the Gospel of John. Uh, John chapter 8, verse 31 is where we'll start today, uh, probably verse 30 actually, but John 8 uh, is where we're at. Uh, We're coming up on like a year studying the Gospel of John, and I think we'll finish up mid-2023 or mid-2024. Okay, I I don't know, Uh, but I, I hope this has been an edifying study for you. I hope it continues to be. Uh, if, if you're new, uh, first time, second time visiting with us, or if you've missed anything, John's one of these gospels you really can't just jump in uh, anytime. Uh, a lot of the themes that are introduced in the first 18 verses are repeated, uh, and John just does a really good job of teaching us who Jesus is. Because remember, John's goal is for us to believe. Uh, John wants us to believe who Jesus is. And throughout the gospel, there's this invitation, whether it's written or, or unwritten, there's this invitation to, hey, come and see who Jesus is. Come and experience what Jesus is teaching, what Jesus is doing. And, uh, and we've been on this uh, extended section where the context is this festival of booths. And we've talked a lot about the festival of booths and Uh, If you've missed any of that, they're online, they're on our Facebook page, you can go back, uh, watch that, and there's just so much rich content uh, that Jesus has been tying together uh, with that festival. Uh, Last week, we saw that Jesus proclaimed himself the light of the world. During, uh, probably during this festival of lights that were taking place, he says, I am the light of the world, and he explains that that he is the light that provides a path for us, that protects us, that guides us, that purifies us, that Jesus is the light of the world. And after that, there begins this dialogue or this debate. Uh, You notice we we didn't get to all of that section. We're not really skipping over it, but I do want to just summarize it for you. Uh, The religious leaders and maybe some in the crowd, they're asking Jesus questions. They're being confrontational with Jesus. And Jesus is going back and forth, explaining to them who he is, why they don't accept him, because they really don't know who the Father is, and if they don't know the Father, they don't know Jesus. Uh, Then Jesus begins to predict his death. He says, I'm going to go away, and and you're not going to know, or, uh, you know, because you're just all confused, and you're following the wrong path, and you're not going to go where I'm going. Uh, And they question that. But here's what's so amazing. During this back and forth, During this debate, Jesus continues to teach. And look at chapter 8, verse 30. While this debate is going on, while the teaching is going, it says many, uh, as he is saying these things, many believed in him. As he's saying these things, many people believed in him. And we read that and we're like, amen, man, that's that's the whole point of the gospel of John is that people would believe in Jesus. And Jesus, recognizing what is happening, takes the opportunity to teach the group, the crowd, what it means to really believe. Because believing is we think of it as an intellectual thing. It's like, oh, I believe that Jesus was a real guy and he walked around on this earth. And yeah, I believe Jesus. Yeah, I believe there's archaeological evidence that says this guy was crucified. I I believe that. But what does it mean to believe? What does it mean the devil and the demons believe in Jesus? But what does it really mean to believe so that we have eternal 
life. And uh, it's funny. It's not funny. Well, it is funny because as a math, I was a math teacher for two years, right? Uh, now I came out of college in student teaching, like almost expert level algebra, uh, expert level statistics. I mean, that was my focus and concentration because those are areas of math. It's like step one, step two, step three, step four, step five. Very concrete. Okay, very almost easy to teach. Sometimes hard to understand, but almost easy to teach because it's just step, 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 step. The weakest part was geometry. Not as concrete. Anybody in geometry right now? Theorems, postulates. Anybody remember theorems and postulates? Oh my gosh! I mean, I, I forgot about them too. And I had a degree in this, and I didn't know. So guess what they gave me to teach? Geometry. You know, in my interview, I was like, I can't teach geometry. So, hey, you're going to teach geometry. Yeah, so that's what they do. Uh, and my test results reflected that. But, again, geometry is not always... That wasn't funny. <laughs> Actually, the school I was at was like one of the highest schools in the state for a really long time in education. My test scores brought us down like into the bottom 50. <laughs> it was not good. Uh, needless to say, I didn't teach much longer. In a, in a tested area. But that's okay, neither here nor there. But the point is, the steps of geometry aren't quite as clear and cut. And so I sit down throughout Larson's educational career and try to teach her steps to math. Do you know they've changed math? <laughs> right? Anyway, I say all that to say there are steps to our salvation, there are steps to following Jesus. Uh, we have, and, and these, while they can be abstract at times, there's a process that we've seen play out in John's gospel. Uh, if you think way back to chapter 1 and 2, kind of the first thing for us is always a presentation of truth. You know, we have to hear the truth of Jesus. We have to be presented with the gospel. And in that process, God works in our heart. God moves us. God, the Spirit of God convicts us. Uh, and so there's a presentation of truth. And after that, there is an initial, like step two is an initial response. Everybody has an initial response to the gospel. Some people reject it outright. Not for me. That is an initial response. Other people, they accept it. They're convicted. They believe it. They're all in for Jesus. Some people, like the Jews of John's gospel and like the people we see, some of them are seekers where they're like, man, this is, I want to know more about Jesus. I want, to, I want to hear him teach. I want to see what this looks like. Now, that group, some of them will end up rejecting Jesus. Go back to John chapter 6 where the hard teachings of Jesus being the bread of life called many, many, many disciples to walk away. And then we have others like Nicodemus and the disciples and others of these followers who learn about Jesus and maybe even these in this crowd. They're like, I have heard and seen enough. I believe in Jesus. I believe in this as the Messiah. I believe that he is the Lamb of God. And that's kind of like that third step is a decision to believe repent and follow. A decision to say, I believe in Jesus, so I'm going to turn away from my worldly ways. I'm going to turn away from sin. Uh, and we do that by being powered by the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to follow Jesus as closely as possible. I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus. You know, there were 12 disciples, but there were, that's kind of like the core. But there were lots of disciples who were following Jesus Closely, And Jesus understands the situation that he finds himself in in verse 30. Many people believe, but he wants to make sure they understand the cost of believing. 
He doesn't want these people to be like those in chapter six who believed but then walked away because they really didn't believe. He wants them to understand what being a disciple really looks like. So here's what he says, starting in verse 31. And Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Listen to that again. If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth. The truth will set you free. If you want to be a real disciple of Jesus, uh, and there's actually a, there's other marks that Jesus will give us as, they walk, as we walk through the rest of the gospel. This is kind of like the first mark of real discipleship. Remain in the word. The CSB says you'll continue in my word. Probably the best translation is you abide in my word. You make your home in the word. Now, a couple things I want to point out about the word. John has already introduced us to this truth. Jesus is the word. Remember that? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. So what Jesus is saying at the core is you have to remain in me. You have to abide in me, the savior of the world. You have to follow me closely. And, and that word disciple means learner. You have to learn from me. Uh, in seminary, I really wanted to learn and soak in everything I could. And I had a class that was a Christian uh, ethic, no, it was philosophy. I struggled with that class. I didn't understand what was going on. Uh, the first exam, I made like a 42, and there was only two exams, so it's only two grades. So, you know, I, and I, but, but, but not just wanting to pass, I wanted to know. Uh, the Christian philosophy, it teaches us how to debate. It teaches us how to, um, to talk to people who don't believe in us and logic and reason. And so I really, and so I wanted to learn I remember being so immersed in my textbook. By the way, the professors write the textbooks, which I always find weird. But, you know, we have to buy the book they wrote. Anyway, that doesn't seem like ethical. But that's, never mind, never mind. That, that just, that's neither here nor there. But I immersed myself in that book. So much so, I fell asleep with the book. Like, I, I was reading, I was studying. I'd read, like, the same six pages 450 times because I didn't understand anything that the guy was saying. And I woke up and my head was like, I had words imprinted on my face from the book. That's what that, I made, I abided in that book. I immersed myself in trying to learn philosophy. Now, if I'm going to do that for philosophy, how much more should I do that with the Bible? How much more should I immerse myself in the Bible? So as we remain in Jesus, for you and I here today, Jesus isn't walking around. We, if we want to remain in the word, we have to literally remain in the word. We have to make ourselves at home in the Bible. Let, let you know, fall asleep on it. Let, let, ooh, that was bad. Fall asleep on it and let the words get imprinted, not really on our face, but in our hearts. We have to saturate our souls with the scripture so real disciples immerse themselves. They continue. They're constantly pouring over the scriptures. They're remaining in the word. Uh, in John 14, 15, Jesus is going to say, hey, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Well, how do you know the commandments? By reading it. 
How do we learn what Jesus wants, to do, wants us to do at work when we're faced with those annoying people and we don't know how to deal with it or a boss that's getting on our nerves? We have to be immersed in the word of God. How do we know how to handle these life situations, the, the, the patience that we pray for? Our Sunday school class this morning talked about inner beauty and inner strength and this inwardness. How do we develop a godly inward character? By saturating ourselves with the word of God, by pouring over what it says and learning it. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, and I, I don't mean to step on anybody's toes, but we really have a biblically illiterate world. I mean, we really do have churches filled with people who are just biblically illiterate. At the very least, they're biblically ignorant. They just don't read it, and they don't study it like they should and maybe maybe the church doesn't teach it like they should. I'm not going to put all the you know the the uh, all the fault on the people because it is the church's responsibility to teach this. But the only way to overcome the ignorance and the illiterateness of not knowing scripture is by pouring into it. And, and I know I know what you say. It's like some of it is just hard to understand. Yeah. Master's degree. Some of it's hard to understand. Then other people say, well, I just don't like what that passage says. One of our founding fathers actually took a pair of, well, scissors or a knife, and he cut out the Bible verses that he didn't like. He did. It just, he, he made his own Bible. He cut out what he didn't like. And some of us do that. Maybe not physically, but we look at these verses and we're like, ah, I don't... Whew. That's a hard one. Love your enemies, forgive 70 times 7. Oh, really? Sins that we get called out on? That's not really what the Bible means. I don't like that. Listen, when we come to a verse of Scripture we don't like, we don't understand, we shouldn't discard it because it's truth. It is truth. And I know that our culture today is running so far away from this truth that it is almost hard to see the truth. But when the Bible said it, that's it. And so when we come to these passages we don't like, we just have to say, God, change me. Change my heart. Help me, or help me to understand what you're really trying to communicate. And I have to do it as a pastor. We all come to these passages where we're like, I just don't understand it. But yet we have to pray that God would change us and we should not attempt to change the Bible. We have to immerse ourselves. We have to remain in the word. The Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Richly in you. Jesus himself says man does not live on bread alone but by the word that comes from the mouth of God. This is, remaining in this is the mark of a real disciple, learning what it says and then doing what it says. The doing is hard, amen? I mean, that's hard to do. The doing is very hard. But again, we ask the Holy Spirit to help us to understand it, to be transformed by it, and then give us the strength to obey what it is teaching us. Because that is the truth. And look what he says in verse 32. The truth will set you free. This is one of the most, again, there's a lot of misused Bible verses, and this is one of them. 
Uh, there's a lot of reason, there's a lot of uh, uh, uses outside of the context for this one, where the truth will set you free. I want to tell you, this is only talking about one thing, and it's the spiritual. This isn't talking about culture. It's not talking about social issues. There are plenty of Bible verses that address social issues. This is not one of them. This verse is, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus is talking about the gospel and spiritual freedom. And if he's saying you're going to be set free, it means we're all imprisoned. We're all enslaved by sin. The only way to be set free is by abiding and remaining in the word because the word is truth. And that truth, Jesus sets us free. I want you to picture it like this. Uh, Our sin puts us in a prison. We are chained to the wall. The door is locked and there are guards outside keeping us there. Now, Satan makes it look like a nice prison. Satan makes us think we have the freedom to wander this prison freely. But we are still in prison. We are still enslaved to our sin. So here's what Jesus does. And here's what we learn when we, when we recognize the truth. Jesus comes in to the prison, knocks out the prison guards, unlocks the door, takes the chains off of us, and sets us free. Or offers us, is a better way to put this, offers us an opportunity to be set free. Only Jesus can get us out of prison. Only Jesus can get rid of the guards. Only Jesus can unlock the door. Only Jesus can, can take off the chains. But when we get to that point, we ha- and Jesus is the only one that can carry us out. Okay, Jesus has got to carry us out of the prison. But we have a choice to, to let him carry us out of the prison. There's a lot of people who believe but they've never jumped in the arms of Jesus and let him carry them out of the prison that they've been in. To believe you have to remain. And one of the most, what we see in verse 33 is one of the most common excuses that people make for not accepting Jesus. Look what the Jews respond. Verse 33, we are descendants of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say we will become free? These are Jewish people. These are descendants of Abraham. And and they're not referencing physical slavery. They're not even referencing the slavery of Exodus or the exile. They're understanding the spiritual essence of this and say, we're children of Abraham. We were chosen by God. We're already free. We're free because we're Jews. We don't need to believe in Jesus. We don't need to follow you. We've already got our ticket punched to heaven. And Jesus says, truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. That word everyone means everyone. Jews, Gentiles, everyone is a slave to sin. I think that there are people who fall victim to this same thing. It's like, oh, I've been in church since I was in the womb. I don't need to be set free. I've been to the church every time the doors are open. I'm good. I've been on mission trips. I'm good. My mama and daddy are Christians. I'm good. Here's one. I live in America, so I'm good. Listen to me. You're only good if you remain in Jesus. 
You're only good if you remain in the word. You're only good if you are learning from Jesus and letting him imprint your heart and that you're obeying it. Because that's when you believe. And by believing, you have eternal life. But just your mom and daddy is not going to save you or set you free. Going to a church is not going to set you free. You have to decide to follow him. Giving money is not going to set you free. Bringing awesome cakes to the cakewalk, which you all should do this afternoon. That's good, but it's not going to set you free. Only remaining in Jesus will set you free. Verse 35, listen. A slave does not remain in the household forever. Watch this. But a son does. This is the gospel. This is the beautiful thing about what Jesus does. He says, a slave does not remain in the household forever. And again, you think about a slave. Uh, A slave can maybe enter a home. A slave may have access to a few rooms in the home. But he doesn't have access to all of it. He's certainly not going to inherit any of it. And at the end of the day, he's got to go back to his place. Jesus says, a slave does not remain the household forever, but a son does. A son has access to the whole household. A son is an heir to everything that the father has. A son gets to sleep and stay in the house And when we decide to follow Jesus, he adopts us into his family and we become sons and daughters. And we have access, not just limited access, all access to God's house. But we got to let him carry us out of the prison. Verse 36, so if if the son sets you free, you are really, you really will be free. And he goes on to say, I know you're descendants of Abraham, but you're trying to kill me. Because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen in the presence of the Father, so then you do what you have heard from your Father. And they say, well, our Father's Abraham. And then Jesus says, if you were Abraham's children, Jesus told them, you would do what Abraham did. But now you are trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You're doing what your father does. And then he continues to list things. You weren't born of sexual immorality, they said. You have one father, God. And it continues. Jesus continues debating with them, trying to plead with them, trying to help them understand that the only way to be free is by him. Again, we're coming to the end of Jesus' public ministry. As we get into verse, starting in chapter 12, it's just going to be the Passion Week. Jesus is just coming to the end of his three years, pleading with people to try to help them understand where true freedom comes from. He's pleading with you today. Have you been set free? Do you believe so much so that you remain in the word? Being a Christian takes sacrifice. Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. Remain in me and I'll remain in you. 
Jesus looks at these rich young rulers and he says, go sell everything and follow me. When we believe and accept Jesus, there's sacrifice. We have to give up our way of thinking, our way of doing, and learn from Jesus and follow him closely. Like I told you in the first weeks of our series, disciples of that day would follow their rabbis so close the dust of their sandals would kick up onto their cloaks. Are you following Jesus that closely? Are you, have you made your house in the word of God? If not, then I want you to make that decision today. Recommit to that. Recommit to opening this book up every day and reading it. And I'm not saying sit like three hours. If you haven't done this in a while, five minutes is a good place to start. One verse is a good place to start. God can do so much with just one verse every day. But you've got to start somewhere. Remain in the word and you will really be his disciples. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for everything that you've shown us through the gospel of John. Father, convict us of where we have failed you. Show us the areas of our life where we're not remaining or abiding in you. Show us the areas where we need improvement. And Father, help us to see it and help us to do it. Help us to to strive to follow you and to learn more about you, not because we have to, but because we want to. Because we love you so much, we desire to follow you and to be close with you. And Father, help those who have never made a decision to follow you to do that, to believe, repent, and decide to follow. Change their hearts, change their life. Adopt them into the family. Father, help them to jump in your arms and let you carry them out of the prison that they are trapped in because of their sin. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.